0: We are continuing in our series that I've entitled, The Joy of Knowing. <laughs> Knowing, to know, is a word that is featured uh, quite greatly in the, the letter that John is writing. And John is writing to us a letter. As I mentioned earlier, he wrote the gospel that is entitled by his name, The Gospel of John, and later on in his life, in fact, he is one of the, the apostles or disciples that became the apostles that, that lived the longest, we believe, according to tradition. Later in life, he writes a letter, a series of letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, to the church. We believe it's a church that's going to be more in the area of almost to Iran, in that area. The church is scattered about this point. He's writing a letter to them. And uh, to give, give you some background, there's some interesting things. Um, not good things, but interesting things going on in the church. There are people who are leaving the church and saying that Jesus is not Lord. Jesus is not God. He was not fully God, fully man. And besides all that, you know, the body is separate from the spirit. The spirit's holy. The body is fleshly. And um, there's not connected. We, we don't have to worry about what we do on earth because we got our eternal spirit, and that's fine. And there's a lot of stuff going on, so he writes this letter. So we pick up in the second chapter, um, in chapter 2, in verse 26, as we pick up here, he's, he has a flow of thought going along that's talking with the truth, he's dealing with the truth versus error or lie, and he's also dealing with abiding in Christ. That's one of the reasons I read from the Gospel of John for our scripture reading, the abiding in Christ. And so as we come to this point, 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, let's read together, then we'll pray. And then we'll look into see what God has for us this morning. John writes, These things I have written to you concerning those who are just trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in. In Him. Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence not, and not shrinking away from him in shame at his coming. And if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. May God bless his word. Let's bow and ask his help to understand it this morning. Gracious God, we come to you. Lord, my words are not sufficient to explain yours. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts to understand. Lord, may we see your word. May we listen and learn from you today. And may you be glorified. And as we hear your word, as we see it, as we understand it, may we act upon it. Father, may we draw comfort from your word. May we be challenged from your word, and at all times may we respond to you, that you may receive the offering of our lips, the offering of our lives for your glory. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. Thank you for the salvation that you have given to us. May you be glorified in our time this morning. In your name I pray, amen. Knowing the truth about a thing or an issue is often hard. Uh, it's, in fact, it seems like it's not gotten any easier. If you watch two cable news t- shows on any given night now, you'll have about five different versions of the truth, depending on how many guests they have, and they're arguing back and forth. And so you'll have those different versions, and it becomes, as we have all known, uh, fake news. And so everyone else has, their truth is fake news, and our truth is, of course, the truth. The truth. And uh, then, so, it's a national pastime to watch people argue about it, I guess now. And at some point, it does kind of turn you off. You ever get there, like, I could take this. I want to know what's going on in the world, but I would just stop arguing, okay? You just kind of turn it down and go watch baseball or something like that. Uh, But truth has become whatever someone wants to believe. Your truth, my truth. And in our postmodern culture, up to now, it's been been okay to say, you have your truth, I'll have my truth. And we'll just, like, cohabitate with truth, right? You have your own, and that's fine. And now it's becoming, no, your truth has to be my truth, or my truth has to be your truth, Right? you just listen to me. And there's that struggle with what is true. And that's only on the, on the level of stuff on the news, you know. And that's not, like, really serious things of what is true, what is life, who is God, is there a God. There's, there's arguments about that also. And truth has always been at stake. There's a fascinating interaction in the Gospel of John. Um, Jesus is on trial. Okay, So this is after the betrayal. Jesus is on trial. He's standing before Pilate, who is arguably the most powerful person in Jerusalem at that time. He is the, the arm of the Roman government, the arm that holds the sword, the life and death. Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate is, is frankly kind of wondering why Jesus is there. Because what he's seeing and what the Jews, the leaders of the Jews, are saying, are two different things. And so we're there, he's he's asking questions. And so he, Pilate comes into the Praetorium. This is his hall, and he 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 summons Jesus over. He beckons him over, and he asks a question. He says, "Are you the King of the Jews?" And Jesus' answer is kind of interesting because he says. Are you saying this of, of your own initiative, or did someone tell you this, about, you this about me? He's like, is this your own question, or are you just repeating what people have said, or are you know, why do you ask? Basically. And Pilate answers. He says, "I'm not a Jew, am I?" But he's, he's Roman. He's like, I, I, it doesn't really matter to me if you're the king of the Jews. I just want to know. I'm trying to decide this this issue here. He says. Uh, tell me, I said. your own nation, your chief priests have delivered you to me, Jesus. So, so tell me, what have you done? Why, why, why are they so mad at you? Why are they mad at you? And Jesus answered and said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not over this realm. And in your mind's eye, you can see Pilate even scratching his head a little more. That's not the answer I expected. That's not the answer I want. It doesn't help me. But what does he mean? And so Pilate answers Jesus. He said, "So, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. And for this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to testify the truth. Why did he say that? Jesus says, I have come into the world to testify the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, he says, hears my voice. And Pilate asks him, Jesus, what is truth? What is truth? And that question has been echoed down through the ages. What is truth? Pilate had heard so much from the Jewish leaders, You remember the story? He's heard from his wife. His wife says, you know, don't do anything to this man. I've I've had a dream. You know, it doesn't end well for you kind of thing. She's kind of this overshadowing of gloom and despair over her. And so she's warning him. And Pilate is frankly confused with their question, what is truth? Have you ever wondered what is truth? Or maybe what is true? See, you and I are susceptible to error. For most of us, we want to believe what someone tells us is true. I mean, there, yes, there are some who are natural cynics. I don't, believe it. I don't believe anybody. But if you have a friend or someone who comes up to you who shows you kindness, you want to believe that what they're saying is true. But how do you evaluate, how do you know what is true? Because we often hear lives and we, we want to know. Now, for the one who follows Christ, the one who is a believer in Jesus Christ, sometimes we forget that we have a connection to God that helps us understand the truth, that teaches us, as John, in John 15, John 14 says, teaches us truth. We forget that. We we kind of are puzzled by it. Sometimes we are so disconnected from Jesus, though, that in our weakened state, we have a hard time evaluating what is true. Sometimes we know truth, but we shy away from it because we don't want the demands of truth. Because truth demands action. We cannot long put off something. To, to put it off, to put off dealing with the truth, we're in effect deciding to not believe that it's true to go against that which is true. And so we procrastinate, but we really make a decision. So in that framework, that overall, John writes to people who are struggling about what is true, specifically about Jesus, specifically about the interaction of Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts. He's talking to believers, and he's giving them the answer to exactly what they need. He's going to do so in a command two, command. two times he makes this command. And we're going to give you the command first, so you know the... We'll call this, you know, here's the, the back behind the scenes of, of a sermon preposition. This is our proposition. This is what God says from his words, and then we're going to tell you the effect of it here. So, here's the proposition, even if you don't write this down. Um, it is, since Jesus invites us, and John here commands us to abide in him... You and I who know Christ must abide, abide in Jesus, okay? Since he invites, as we know God's word says he commands, for those of us who know Jesus, we must abide, okay? That's the proposition, and we're going we're gonna to flesh it out with three points so you, so you know it's not unending, three small points. Okay, not two small points. Number one. Know the truth or be informed or, as verse 26 says, don't be deceived. Let's look at verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive. I love that John, John is a disciple that Jesus loved that was probably the closest to him. John always tells us why he's writing. End of John 20, 21, he tells, I'm writing you that you may know the Christ, that he is real. Here he's saying, one of the reasons I'm writing is that you're not deceived, that you, don't, that you see the truth, that you're not caught up in this. And he says, I'm writing to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Verse 27, as he reminds the reader of the reasons for writing, he says this, no truth from error, but how do we do so? Verse 27, I'll read it and then we'll, we'll kind of dissect it here. Verse when he says, as for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. You have no need for anyone to teach you. So the anointing. We saw last week that what John means by this is the Holy Spirit of God. That Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit. John 15, John 16, John 17. And the gospel says, when I go away, Jesus says, when I die, I'm raised again. I will return to heaven I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you a comforter, he calls them. A teacher. He says, the anointing, the Holy Spirit, abides in you. So if you, have know, if you know Christ, you've become a follower of Jesus by receiving him as your Savior. Okay? He says, he abides in you. Now that's comforting, yes. But it's not only for comfort. It's not only for comfort that the Holy Spirit abides in us. It is for teaching. It is for Understanding, because he teaches you about all things, knowing truth from error. See, we d- we doubt our ability to understand and discern, but Jesus says, "I have provided for you this one who will teach you all things." Now, how does the Holy Spirit do this? Skywriting? No. A little voice in your head? No. He does this through his word. John seventeen seventeen says, Jesus prays to God the Father. He says, Sanctify them, or set apart as holy, them, the disciples, and then the believers. In truth, your word is truth. The Holy Spirit always uses his word, the word of God, to teach truth. Okay? We, don't, we don't dial up some heavenly number and get a word of truth or faith. We, we get it from God's word. His word. We read this. He works in our heart that says this, this, is, this is for you today. This is part of the abiding. You'll see in a minute. This is for you. He, the anointing teaches you all things. So he says he continues in verse 27. And is true and not a lie. So what the Holy Spirit is doing. Is teaching through you through his word. For the believer. What is true and what is lie. Now that kind of puts a little bit of necessary uh, endeavor upon our part to be in God's Word. Otherwise, we're just making it up as we're going along. We're kind of phoning it in. We're saying, well, I think, this is, I think this means this. I think I should do this. Or I want to do this, so I must, I should do this. No, we go to God's Word. And he says, he teaches us what is true, what is a lie. And just as has been taught you the first abide command. You abide in him. What the Holy Spirit will teach you from his word is that you and I must be connected. So number one, we, have, we must know the truth, and we do that. We don't, we're not deceived by God's word, but number two, the command again, for another time in 1 John, is to abide in Jesus. Now we talked the other day, because the abide is to, to be close to remain in. If I'm abiding in Jesus, that means I'm not keeping a stiff arm, keeping him away. I am, I'm reading his word. I'm seeking to live as he would like for me to live. Not so that I can earn some gold star in heaven, okay? but, so, but so that I please him. We'll see the last verse of the chapter why we live, how we live. But he says, abide, that continual connectedness. We abide. This is so key. The the key to understanding truth from error is abiding in Jesus. Okay, So we're commanded to do one, not to be informed, but to know, don't be deceived. And the way that we are not deceived is by abiding in Jesus because of the Holy Spirit and what God does for us. Here's the ramification, 28. Now, little children, I love that John writes as his care and love to them, little children. He's not speaking down to them. This is a term of endearment. Abide in Him, so that when He what appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. Number one, understand that when He appears, there is a set date that God, Jesus, will return. Now we don't know what that is. He has not told us. And if anyone tells you, I know, He's mistaken kind of put him in the category of a false prophet, because he's not, he's not saying the right thing. But we do know that, that Christ is returning. You see, well, Stacy, why has he not returned yet? Well, we looked, I think, last week at, at 2 Peter. We saw that God has not returned yet because of his patience. Jesus is not coming back because he is patient. He is slow, not as men count slow. And it's not like, well, hurry up. He's He's patient not wanting or desiring that any should perish, but all come to repentance. The reason why Jesus has not come yet is for you, for, for me, to have received Christ and for followers of Christ, for those who have not received Christ, that they may hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus, Jesus Christ and come to know him. So he is coming back. He will appear. But he says, abide in him. So that when he appears and he kind of juxtaposes two different things. Number one, we'll look at the negative. Isn't that fun? Let's look at the negative first. Start with the negative. It's shame, or he says, shrinking away, verse 28, that we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. So, wait a second. If we're a follower of Christ, wouldn't we be happy? When Jesus returns, Jesus returns, yes, he's, he's back. We, we are, we'll be taken to heaven. Well, no more sin plagued, plaguing us. Everything will be... Why would we shrink away? Well, I was thinking, how do I, how do I illustrate this for you? And I thought, well, maybe it's a time like when you're a kid and you went to your relatives' houses and your, your great aunt with the red lipstick and you're like three or four comes in to kiss you on the cheek, you know, and you, you know it's going to live a blob and you have to wipe it off. And you see, you shrink, kind of push away. You're trying not to be maybe sad or the, the great uncle who's, whose breath smells of stale coffee. And he comes to kiss you on the forehead and you're kind of like, oh. But I thought, no, that's not it. That's that's not really it. Um, that's not the best way to um, to illustrate that. Because God is... It's not what we're shrinking away because of God coming, and it's really not even shrinking away because of, um, it's a time when you've done something wrong and mom and dad comes home, whoever one is the one who sends you to your room and gives you all the chores. Sometimes that's both in a family, sometimes it's just one of them in the family, but it's when they come, you know they're coming home, and so you go to your room, you lock the door. You never did that, I'm sure. Um. I may or may not have done that in my past. But it's not that shrinking away. And what John is disp- depicting here is this shrinking away because we don't have the confidence in the connectedness of abiding. So it is a it is the abiding that he is commanding and the believer who shrinks away at this time when Christ appears Is the one who knows that in their heart they have not been abiding as they should in Jesus. That's the shrinking away. Like, he's coming. Oh no. It's not that I don't love him. It's not that I I know I don't understand. I'll go to heaven. I understand that, but oh no. But he contrasts that with confidence of the one who is abiding who's continually abiding in God's word, and he uses the word for confidence or boldness. Now, this word was used uh, in, the, in the New Testament, in Acts. They were preaching boldly with confidence. Peter and John, they go to the temple, and because of what Christ has done, this is after Christ has gone, returned to heaven, and they are preaching confidently. They have the word of truth, and they are preaching not shyly. They're not shrinking away, but they're going up to people. So Jesus spoke plainly, or boldly, or with confidence. And so, what John is setting up for you and I, as we you and me, as I as we read this, is that if we are connected with Jesus, it's going to give us a confidence, though so not only when He returns, but a confidence in daily life of who He is and how He relates to me to us in our lives. Maybe you've been there. You've been at a time when you have not had that confidence and boldness, and in your heart, your heart, you can understand that it is because you have not been spending time with God, and there's that disconnectedness. In relationships, we have it, don't we? You know, you have a close relationship, but there's just something there of disconnect. You can't put your finger on it. You don't know what it is, so you shrink away, you, it's a defense mechanism sometimes, we don't want to get hurt, we shrink away, but when things are, are connected and the, the friendship is great, there's confidence, I can call or text at any time, I know a drop of the hat that person will come and encourage me and, we'll, we'll, and I will do the same for them. There's a confidence that comes with the connected abiding with someone and this is what John is saying. Abide in Jesus and you will be confident that he is who he is and that you're confident of your standing with him. And confidence, so I'm not a really big one on, you know, uh, self-esteem because sometimes it makes us kids <clears throat> um, too bold, too bratty. Um, not that I, you, were, you were everyone ever like that, maybe it was me. Uh, But the self-esteem kind of thing is like, oh, that's, you know, we want people to be well-adjusted, our kids, but we don't want them to be overconfident. But here, it's not an overconfidence, it's assuredness that Jesus is in you. You're abiding in him, and so you have the confidence to live for him and in him. And that figures into the next verse, because what he says next is, You're going to practice or do righteousness. The habit of your life is going to be, because you're abiding, you're going to practice righteousness. Let let us stipulate, first of all, that by practicing right things, doing right things, righteousness, we are not saved. Are we? Okay? It's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. That's not Ephesians. It's, uh, for grace, by, for, by grace, that's another good verse. For by grace you save through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? So it's not that. It's not that we work and we... And it's not even we work and do right things and after we are believers that God loves us more. No, that's not it. It's because we are connected to Christ... That we live righteously and verse twenty nine if you know that he is righteous, so he is the template for us he is the the prototype he is the first he's the he's the one that breaks all other types he is the one who is righteous jesus the he is Jesus here Jesus is righteous see we'll unpack that a little more righteousness is it is the moral nature of God that always does what is just, what is good, what is holy, what is right, righteous. This is the moral nature of God. And if you know, and you could say, and since you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is, of, is born of him. The continual practice, the doing of righteousness... That person is born of God. Now, why would John say that? Well, remember the context of what he's saying, because there are false teachers. There are people who are, who are saying, "Now you can do whatever you want, you know, and, and live like you want, and that's okay, because you're, you're okay. At the end, you'll be okay. And, and John says, no, 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 no. The one who practices, you can tell the one who constantly is practicing righteousness, the pattern, the moral nature of God, He or she is is living that out, not perfectly, obviously, but living that moral nature out of God who desires, at the very least, to do what is right. That one is born of God. See, if we're not born of God, we're not going to have a desire. It's going to be every man, every woman for himself, herself. Okay, it's it's dog-eat-dog world, I, you know... Climb the corporate ladder, no, I chop off your ladder and I step on top of you as I climb up. It's, it's, it's all those things, it's ruthlessness because, hey, if I don't have God in me, what do I care? What do I care how you are? I live my life like I want to. It's all about me. But the one who's born of Christ, who is in Christ, the righteousness is, is there. It speaks to our identity. So, my poor, now adult children, if they're in with me in a group, and someone doesn't know who the dad is, they look at the hair, well, even, well mine's going blonde, gray, but they look at the hair and say, y- you guys, even though my son's much taller than I, uh, you belong to him, and they say, "Yeah, yes, they, they can't deny it, because I'm standing right there. Okay, there is an identity, okay? There is an identity, and in families, we, we tend to look alike sometimes, If we don't look alike, sometimes we act alike. My brother and I are, uh, he is tall, dark, and handsome, and I'm short, red, and whatever else, Um, and not so handsome. Our voices are the same, and our mannerisms are, and even he's nine years older, so, you know, he got married and went off a ways, well, before I hit high school or so. There's a resemblance. Identity. There is a resemblance of the one who abides in Christ, that he, that she, is like Christ. They practice the moral nature of God, not to be more approved, not to be saved, because it's their identity, is their nature that God has given to them. See, by my actions, by my doing, I identify that I am Christ's. I don't do them to say, hey, look at me look at me, pat me on the back because I was a good boy today. It's because this is who my Savior is, who is my, my prototype that I, I pattern my life after. He is the first one, the moral nature, and so I pattern my life after him. I identify with him. Now I wonder, Since Jesus invites you and me to abide with him, what if he were to return today? What if he were to return today? Let's talk to the believer. Would there be enough to identify you with Christ? Would you be living confidently, connected, abiding in Christ? Or would there be something like a little shrinking away? Well, Stacey, you know, I think it's long. I think it's way off in the future. I think this is way off in the future. I don't have to worry about that now. I'll worry about it when I'm older. And for the believer, that's, those are years of wasted time. Number one, identifying with Christ. Living out his nature. Number two, of loving and caring and serving others, practicing righteousness. So they may see your Jesus. But for the, what, those who do not know Christ as Savior, what if Christ were to appear to return now? See, what the Scripture tells us is that he will return. And that, as I mentioned earlier, he is patient now. He is waiting for those to come to repentance, to 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 want to be rid of their sin, that they will cast themselves upon Jesus and say, Jesus, you are my all. I give you my sin. I confess them my sins to you, and you will wipe me clean by by your grace. I'll take upon me your righteousness. God will see your Christ's righteousness covering me instead of my own filthy works. And for you, the day is approaching if you do not know Jesus. You come to that point where Jesus is the one you run to your refuge. See, Paul, uh, John here wants us to understand that Christ is returning. He wants us to understand that there is a way to know truth versus error. He wants us to understand most of all that abiding in Jesus is the natural part of a believer. And the ramifications of this are these, that as you abide in Jesus, as you abide in the truth, confidence and righteousness are yours through him. See, it troubles me, and I, I am burdened for believers who never experience the confidence of knowing Christ and living out Christ's life through them and righteousness. And it saddens me in the turmoil and struggle that goes through, that they go through. Because I know that by abiding in Jesus, not being perfect, no, but abiding in Jesus and staying in him, staying close to him, that connectedness makes all the difference in a Christian life. Will your, all your trials go away, your troubles? No. Your troubles will not go away. Your trials will not all go away. God will use those trials, those troubles in your life to point to himself. And he will, in those trials and troubles, give you his grace, give you his peace that we sung of. But we're not going to have that if we're not abiding in him. This morning, Jesus invites you to abide. Jesus says, come unto me, all you weary and heavy and I will give you rest, salvation. That is not the only time that we are connected to Jesus. He, he invites us to continue that connectedness all the way through every day going into his word, praying, asking him to show us by the Holy Spirit to teach us truth, to teach us how to become more like Christ. Abide. And the question for you and I, you and me, is that do we abide? Will we? We abide. It is a conscious choice every morning. It is a conscious choice throughout the day. If Jesus is your all in all, if he is the one to whom you sing praises to on a service like this, he must be the one in every moment of every day. Abide. Abide in me, he says. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, by your mercy and by your grace, Father, I pray that as you have given us your word, I pray that you would open it to me, to, to all of those here, That as we, uh, that as we work through your word this morning, that by your grace and by your mercy, Lord, may you continue to unfold it to us throughout the day. Father, may I be connected to you, and may I so abide in you, and I pray for those that are here, may we all abide in you, we who know Jesus as our Savior. May we continue to be in your word, May we continue to see you as, a, as not only the one who has redeemed us, but the one who abides with us daily. May we, by the Holy Spirit, see truth. May we evaluate, not based on our own preferences, but may we evaluate on your great word. And Father, may we draw nearer and nearer to you every day. Oh God, I pray for the one who may not know Jesus as their Savior. The one who has been longed, enslaved, and sinned. Or the one who has... Not yet seeding a need of a savior, would you make yourself real to them today? Would you call them to yourself? For believers, may we abide with you. Thank you that you invite us. You draw us near. Christ and I pray, amen.